know that the Lord will use us even if we have not much talent because I didn't know I had any talent for writing music. And yet as I followed the direction the church gave me to write for my own, write in my own little corner of the world, they put it. (laughs) And so I thought, oh, great idea. And I did just that. And I started writing songs Anything that the children can sing in a song will have much more staying power. And my heart was just in it. So I only knew they were going to be sung in the primary in our stake. (laughs) 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 But it did catch on. So a matter of testimony has just never been a question. It's just this total knowledge from everything I hear and feel and Especially when I write about it, I feel it. And it's me, it's in me, in me and through me, and it means everything to me. I'm Sarah Jane Weaver, editor of The Church News. Welcome to The Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Janice Cat Perry has composed 3,000 songs and hymns beloved by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Her well-known repertoire includes primary hymns, A Child's Prayer, I Love to See the Temple, and I'm Trying to Be Like Jesus. She joins this episode of the Church News Podcast to talk about the power of music, sharing her testimony of the Savior, and the lessons she has learned during her remarkable life. Welcome, Sister Perry, to the Church News Podcast. Thank you, Sarah. It is such a pleasure to have you here. You are one of the women I have looked up to my entire life, even though we have never yet met until today. (laughs) Okay, thank you. (laughs) Well, I'm hoping that you can just start today and talk to us about how you came to love music, because so many of the people who will be listening to this podcast came to love music by listening to your music. Okay. A brief history of the beginning of my life goes like this. I was born in Ogden at a time when the church was encouraging people to move away and build up Zion. And so three of our families, my mother and her two brothers and their families, all moved to Oregon to do just that. I was just baptized the night before we left, <laughs> left all my sins behind in Ogden, <laughs> and we went to some unknown destination to start a new life. Our home was always full of music. My parents played in a dance band from the time I can remember, drums and piano, and they played for every single dance in school and church that I ever attended. So that kind of music was really fun for me. Back then it was waltzes, foxtrots, and line dances. (laughs) But, oh, they were good. They played all over Ogden for a while and then started in Oregon. Our home was always full of music. My siblings and I were a mixed quartet, and so we loved to sing and play instruments around the piano. Mother taught me piano, and my older brother... Jack taught me to fast pitch and love every sport. So I pitched for church and city teams until I was 40. My parents taught us that the main goal was to get good grades and go to BYU. And 
earn a scholarship. I think that's every parent's goal for their children. <laughs> it was definitely. So my brother Jack uh, was first, and he graduated in engineering. My brother Gary in art. My sister Anne and I both studied music. Mother taught me also to, to love BYU sports early. We lived on a farm, and she would go out in the cold of winter and sit in her car to listen to a static-filled BYU football game. She would warm up the car a little and then turn it off, so (laughs) she just wouldn't miss a game. And it was not a good reception, but I started going out there with her, and I got the same love for BYU sports long before I was there. (laughs) I became a lifetime BYU sports fan. I have autographed footballs in my office now, six of them by all the main coaches and all the main quarterbacks who start. My children are wondering which one they're going to get. (laughs) So am I. Bronco Mendenhall invited me to speak to the football team on my 70th birthday. He didn't know it was, but it was. And that was kind of a real highlight of my life. He gave me a white football signed by him, and he, at that time, the theme song for the football team was, We'll Bring the World His Truth, Army of Helaman, and they sang it at their firesides, as they did during his term. They went around and gave firesides. Well, I hope they sang happy birthday to you as well. <laughs> they did after I told them it was my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to know several coaches a little bit, and the latest was Kalani Sataki. <laughs> He spent a whole hour with me in his office giving me some memorabilia. He said, I can tell you understand football. Let's go talk football for a minute. (laughs) And he said, do you have anything you want to get off your chest? And I said, well, I did wonder in that last game why you went for it on fourth down when it was just not the time you normally would, and we didn't make it. He said, you and every other person in (laughs) loves BYU football, wonder about that. But he was really sweet. During my BYU years, I had wonderful music theory teachers, Clausen Cannon and Quinton Norgren. And I played percussion in the band and sometimes in the orchestra. In a clarinet workshop my sophomore year, there was a handsome return missionary. (laughs) And just before I was to play my midterm exam on the clarinet. I was sucking on the reed and getting ready to soften it and play. And he nudged me and I said, what do you want? I'm next. I'm getting ready to play. And he said, I was just thinking those lips were made for something better than playing the clarinet. (laughs) (laughs) I promptly forgot everything I knew about the clarinet and squeaked and squawked my way through with it went by his office afterwards and said, why did you say that right when I was supposed to play? He said, I just had to. The moment was there. So that uh, nice man turned out to be my husband about a year from then, Douglas Berry. Backtracking a little into my, in my high school years, I received the Music Director's Award, the Sportsman of the Year Award, Girl of the Year, and... I just had to decide what to do at BYU, and my mom convinced me that music is a better occupation than sports, and it was true. Nothing was happening for BYU sports in the 1950s, 56 when I went there. 
there's wonderful things now, and I keep thinking, oh, if I had been back then, I maybe could have played like them on real teams. And Anyway, I did whatever I could in intramural at BYU, but that was all. As I mentioned, Doug and I were married in the fall of 58, and he had to go into the service. He was going to be drafted at the time of our wedding, so he decided to enlist so he could get a better choice of where to go. Wanted to go to the Army Language School and study Russian. So we had three years after the end of my sophomore year where he was in the service and I was not at BYU. We had our first child at Fort Ord, Stephen, and two more when we, after his term back at BYU, when he was majoring then in Russian. And we had two more boys that were born in Indiana in his graduate school studies. One you met today, that's John, and the other was Richard, and he just lived for eight hours because uh, they hadn't solved the RH factor problem until just after I had already had children and was sensitized to it. So the later ones had to have blood exchanges and extra help. So we have one safely in the celestial kingdom, <laughs> working on the others. <laughs> After our years in Indiana, in graduate school, we returned to Utah. Uh, he had three years in the Army Security Agency, spent 15 months of them in Japan, and I went home with my first child, lived with my parents for 15 months, and played ball there on the old city teams he in. And church teams. So you have these amazing kids and this great husband. What has it been like for you to be a wife and a mother? That was pretty much my only goal in coming to BYU. Truth be none. (laughs) Find a good husband and start my family. I didn't even know what I wanted to do in music. I worked in the potato sheds every summer to pay for BYU and my Father said, well, why don't you give piano lessons or something in your field? And I said, well, I like working in the potato sheds. And he said, what are you going to do with the musical training then that you're receiving at BYU? I'm curious. And I said, I don't really know, Dad, but I do know I will do something with music. And I promise you. He said, okay. And... uh, I didn't ever get back to school. <laughs> well, well, your life combines the things so many of us love most, which is BYU athletics and a love for sports and everything that is loving and caring for family. And then this love of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of music. So about the age of 40, you come to a hinge point in your life where you have played sports, you've been on all these recreation teams, and suddenly you have what I've heard you refer to as two lucky breaks. Can you tell me what happened and what sort of turned you in a direction where you started composing music? Uh, yeah. Our TV broke, actually, for quite a while, so we didn't have any distractions. And I was trying to do the same things with my kids, to have them learn instruments and sing together and so forth. And the other part was that I I broke my ankle in playing basketball with my nephew. (laughs) 
playing a game of, of uh, horse. And I jumped up to make a jump shot. I came down on his ankle, which broke mine. So I was in a cast, and it was very painful. And this is exactly when I got to writing music, because the next day after I got the cast on, the bishop came by and said, I'm just check on you. On you, how are you doing? I said, well, I'll be laid up for a while. And he said, well, oh, that brings me to my next question. While you're laid up, would you write original music for our roadshow? I said, what makes you think I can write music? He said, it's just a feeling. You've been going to school at BYU. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, I'm hurting a little right now. What's the deadline? (laughs) And he said, oh, there's time. And he said, I wanted all music, 15 minutes of music, because that's what the audience likes. And if we have original music, we get extra points, and we want to beat this certain war. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody knows about that, but it was pretty competitive. It was my brother's war. (laughs) So I said, I think about it, but I don't know. So my husband got me a manuscript book and some pencils, and he found a way to prop my foot up on a something so it wouldn't hurt so much. And I started writing all the music for the road show, and something magic started in me. I just thought, oh my gosh, this is fun to not write a science for school, but to just write fun music. He wanted it upbeat and and so I I just kept writing and writing and writing till all the music for the roadshow was done. I, I said, you need to get someone else to write the connecting script and to direct it. I, I'm no good at that. Anyway, we did it, and we won first place. We had the award for best music, and my brother had the award for best. Uh, he's a BYU and a church artist, uh-huh. Gary Cap. And he got the award for best scenery. (laughs) (laughs) So we were both happy. So the second year I did it again, the roadshow, and Merrill Jensen, we all know Merrill, the wonderful arranger for the church, he was our stake roadshow director. So Merrill said, it's time we recorded your music. Not the (laughs) roadshow. Not the roadshow. Real music. (laughs) And I said, I don't think we can afford it. How much is it? He said, if I go to California, I can do it for $1,000, a rhythm track. And then we'll come back here, Randy Booth, singers for Young Ambassadors. You have children in that group. He'll provide the singers for you. So he said, I think I could get him to do it for 10000 I said, well, I don't have 10000 So end of story. He said, no. Borrow $1,000 from 10 friends for one year and pay them back a little higher interest. I said, oh, I can't do that. What if we couldn't pay it back? He said, I guarantee you will. I hated it, but I found five people that would do it, and my mother believed for (laughs) (laughs) 5000 So he went down there and recorded it with a nice rhythm section, came back, and... It was a 78 LP, (laughs) and that's all at first. And when I put that on and played it, 
I, I was just, it was magic to me. I just, I couldn't believe it. Randy Booth came in, brought his good singers. He was the vocal coach. He didn't charge us. And we were on our way. The first album was Where is Heaven? And Steve sang on it. And my oldest son, they've all been in, in Young Ambassadors. And at that time it was him. Mm-hmm. He and his friend Brad Wilcox. <laughs> And they both sang on the album, and Randy helped us all through that. I forgot to mention the very first thing I did writing music for the church was writing one single song, I Followed Jesus. And Doug took the kids and went for the day, and I wrote music to it. And this was before Merrill. And when he came home, I had written the words and the music to I Follow Jesus. And I said, do you want to hear it? And he said, kids, come on and sit down. Mom's written a song. We're going to listen. And so they listened all the way through, and nobody said anything. (laughs) And I I looked up at my husband, and he was wiping tears from his eyes. He said, that's the start of something big, sweetheart. (laughs) 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 And I'm going to support you all the way. My older brother, Jack paid to have it published. My younger brother, Gary, the artist, gave me a picture to put on the front of the cover. One piece of sheet music. I took it around. Let's see. This had to be in the early 70s. I took it around to bookstores and music stores. They had nothing by LDS writers at that time except Lex Azevedo at that time was doing his show, The Biggie. <laughs> Uh, Saturday's Warrior. Yes. And my son was in it. He was in the choir and later went on a tour with it. So he was the only one writing except for a lady in Mesa, Arizona. And all the stores were just wanting something by LDS. There was no one back then. And so I just kept replenishing it and reprinting and everything. And we made the money to support our, one of our son's missions. And Steve sang on it, so he was helping to support his mission. And that's how we got started with Merrill's help, and he arranged everything for us for quite some time. And then we had several other arrangers. I just want to read a few of the words from that song, because I know exactly how your husband felt when you wrote, The Lord has blessed me with gospel truth. I have learned his ways in my early youth. And so much of your music has these gospel truths that have been embedded in so many people's hearts as they have sung those words. How do you write a song that is a manifestation of your faith? When you write music, how do you decide what to write about? I usually do a lot of thinking away from the piano about subjects that I love. Many of them later followed as assignments. And it, in fact, most of the children's songs that I wrote on that album were assignments. But when I actually sit at the piano, well, I kneel at the piano, <laughs> I know that I need help. And I always can feel a difference if I skip that step. So I, I don't know. I wrote the poem sitting down. That's the way I do it now, too, and the the music kind of takes shape. And I go to the piano to get it written down. 
but the I don't know. I'm surprised you have the words to that first one. <laughs> Those words are so beautiful, as are so many of the things that you write. I heard an interview with you years ago where you said, "We who have the gospel of Jesus Christ have something to sing about." Yes. And I love that idea. Can you tell us about what it means to you to celebrate knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's about as happy an occupation as you can be part of. I just came to it kind of gradually, but I felt a great interest in writing children's songs first. Well, I sent some of my songs into the church, I'll have to tell you this, and they said... Or we get so much music, we can't really deal with it. Just bright in your own little corner of the world. And if it's good, we'll hear about it. That was Brother Michael Moody, our music chairman, (laughs) whom I adore. He's been a close friend. And so I thought, oh, great idea. And I did just that. And I started writing songs as an assignment. Because of the road show, I did start getting requests to write songs. It started with some young women's songs and mostly primary. And I had had a real inclination to focus on primary songs because they're this short, and I just feel like it's so... Anything that the children can sing in a song will have much more staying power. And my heart was just in it. So one of the songs was... One of the first ones was I Love to See the Temple. And our stake Relief Society president, they wanted to have a five-minute temple time at the beginning of, of every primary that year. And she asked if I would write something that we could sing during that time. And I loved that assignment. So when I was growing up, we had no temple in Oregon. But when we went as high school students to the temple, it was Idaho Falls. And every time we came around that corner and you see that beautiful temple, the thought just came through my mind, I'd love to see the temple. And I thought, oh, I'll call it that, (laughs) because I do. And so I wrote that song, and I I can't, a lot of my songs won a prize in the the church contest, but I can't remember all of them. I think that was one of them. <laughs> well, and I have traveled all over the world on assignments for the church news. And I have heard the song, I Love to See the Temple, sung in so many different languages, in the Pacific, in Asia, at temples in different European countries and in those respective languages. Did you have any glimpse that the words you were composing would someday be played around the world, very literally? I know and he knew they were going to be sung in the primaries in our stake. <laughs> <laughs> but it did catch on, and I think it was published in The Friend, and that helped. Mm-hmm. I love to see the temple. Uh, it reminds me of the baby we lost. You know, that because we're sealed in that temple, and we, we mentioned that in the, uh, He's Ours. And we have that to look forward to. We have one for sure in the celestial kingdom. (laughs) Robert Barrett, the artist, was in our stake, our ward. And before we went on our mission later in life, Doug and I, I had him paint a picture of all five of our children with the one in white. 
they were all teenagers. And so I said, create him to fit with them and look like my boys and my husband. Wow. And he's in a white suit and the others are in dark and that's a treasure. So that's why I love to see the temple and that, that phrase. One of the sweetest stories I heard was one of President Gordon B. Hinckley's daughters was traveling with him and his wife to a dedication of a temple in a foreign land. And she showed me a picture later. I thought she said 800 children in white. I don't know if that can be right, but it looked like it. Singing, I love to see the temple in their language. What a beautiful, beautiful imagery. I think one of the other songs that I've heard in other countries and children sing in different lands is A Child's Prayer. Can you tell us how that song came about? As a little background, I had written a song like it for adults because right when I started writing music, my hand curled up like this and my wrist pulled down and I couldn't play. And I had a really bad year (laughs) till I got used to it and found ways around it and had blessings, said it would be well according to my faith, really tried, but (laughs) I've learned something about faith from some of the 40 doctors that I went to to try to find a solution for my hand, 40 of the specialists and hands and, and then just osteopaths and then quacks that thought they could heal anything. I tried them all, 40 of them, uh, and I went to the hospital at University of Utah for a week. Every one of them said, if you stick with me, you know, for a little time, we can solve this. And every one of them said at the end, we can't solve it. You'll have to just live with it. We don't even know what it is or why it happens. I think I know, but I had been typing hard for university students and professors at three different universities, Indiana and BYU and Utah State, where we lived. And it was hard typing, long dissertations. I think it's repetitive strain syndrome. One day I just couldn't hold that hand up, and I couldn't control these fingers. I thought, I'm done. So here's how I still kind of play the piano like this. But I don't have to play in public. There's plenty of people that can do that. I just kind of go slow or something to get it written down. And so I wrote this song called, Lord, Are You There? Do You Hear My Prayer? And it's a two-part song for adults. And it was comforting me. I wrote it to comfort me, I guess, (laughs) of what he might say to me. And so I thought, why not do something like that for children? Because they're just learning to pray, and they may wonder if Heavenly Father is really there. And so I thought, oh, that'll be the first line. Heavenly Father, are you really there? And I don't know, I just had my heart in that song so much. And it's been sung more than any other songs of mine. Well, you have 10 children's songs in the church's children songbook, as well as so many hymns. The song A Child's Prayer just... People go through things, and somehow it just hit a spot with everyone. 
a few years ago, LDS Living magazine was, they did a vast survey of the 100 most popular LDS songs of all time. And I thought, oh, I wish mine would make it. I think some were there. Someone called me up and said, did you know that a child's prayer is number one? And I said, uh, number one? I said, that can't be. I know all the other beautiful music that's been written. She said, well, call up the magazine and see. I did call them. <laughs> I said, my friend, was she joking? She said, that was number one. She said, indeed it was, and by a landslide. And later, when I was in the Tabernacle Choir, they asked me to write a page that would come before the song, an introduction to it. Craig Jessup asked me to write it. And so I did write that, and they recorded it with that additional. And uh, when they sang it, when I heard the Tabernacle Choir singing my little song, I couldn't even sing. I was moving my mouth, but I couldn't sing. And I I was just praying the camera wasn't on me, and I found out later it was. <laughs> <laughs> what what an amazing moment. There There's this song that comes from your own hardship. You have a hand that's not working the way you want. You can't do what you want to do, which is play music. And a song becomes a prayer. And then it has such global impact that it becomes everyone's favorite song. I'm delighted also that you mentioned you were in the choir. You served in the choir? I was there from 93 to 99. Tell us about that experience. (laughs) I always wanted to try out, but I just thought, no, I don't have that kind of voice. But I sight read music, and I know that's part of it. And I just didn't and didn't, and then... I was in a swimming pool one day with Myra Ripplinger, the assistant director's wife, Don Ripplinger. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I'm just so tempted to try for the choir. And she said, do it, do it. So you see, they really need sight readers, and I know you can do that well. And so I thought about it. I found what you had to do. I passed the written test, and... I went up with about 70 other people. <laughs> then they said the next step will be the in-person audition. I said to my husband, I'm not going. <laughs> my voice is so ordinary. And he said, well, you don't know. They don't like voices that stand out. He said, they like blendy voices, and you have one. And I said, okay, will you go with me? <laughs> and I got up there, and I heard this beautiful voice auditioning before me and I said I am not going in now let's just go and this is a pipe dream and he said you are here and you are going through it and they opened the door right then and he pushed me through and came in with me (laughs) and the rest is history because from 1993 to 1999 you performed with the choir when I first came to the choir, they sent me down to work with Joanne Otley for a few weeks down under the where they were rehearsing. And she helped me, but I said to her, Joanne, how did I get in the choir level with me? <laughs> and she said, oh, well, you have a true voice. They don't like big vibratos. 
your sight reading was spot on, and that's really important. So she said, just be at peace and enjoy the experience. And I did for six years, still wondering how I got there. (laughs) What I love about you, Sister Perry, is that you have this name that is recognized by so many in the church, yet you seem um, like your nature is a little bit shy. Yeah, it is. I feel very ordinary, and it's been hard to deal with some of the things that came along. But So for all of us who feel ordinary, you have led this life where you just sort of did the next thing that someone asked you to do. That's exactly and, right. And accomplished something very extraordinary. Well, you are asking me about... I'm going to change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll I'll change the subject. But BYU did honor you a few years ago with an honorary doctorate, acknowledging that what you have done has touched people in an extraordinary way. Now, this is a school that you love their sports. You listen to their football games as a child in Oregon from the car with your mom. Recall what it was like at that moment to stand up at BYU and get that recognition. Well, it was kind of an ordinary experience that turned into way something more. President Kevin Worthen lives two houses north of us. I had had my second stroke and was just home from the hospital, and my speech was coming along, but not too well. <laughs> and I needed a walker to walk. He said, can we come over and visit you for a minute? And I thought, well, that's really nice of them to come over and and visit me with all they have to do. <laughs> and we talked for quite a while, and he asked how I was. And he said, but I'm really here on official business. I said, really? What could that be? And he said, BYU wants to award you an honorary doctorate degree for your service in music. And I was dumbfounded. I I said, did I hear right? I said, how did that happen? He said, your son John wrote to us, and he said, do you ever give just an honorary degree from BYU? And he said, well, yes, we sometimes do. He said, he just meant a regular degree. (laughs) Kevin said, "Uh, the committee was just meeting to decide on a person to receive the honorary doctorate degree and so I sent it over to them and they came back saying that you were the one they chose I mean I just cried I just thought well BYU I love you (laughs) I mean they've been so good to me they did a 90 minute video of my life they've I don't know I've loved BYU always and I said But realistically, you see how I am right now. Do I have to do anything at graduation? He said, you just need to walk up there and and receive your award and give a speech. We want you to prepare a talk of some length. And I said, right now I couldn't walk up there and I couldn't speak clearly enough. He said, it's a couple of months away. I'll bet you'll be better. And I fretted about that and... I finally wrote the talk, 
I thought, am I going to use a walker to go up there? No. I did write it and got it all ready, and I heard graduation was canceled for COVID. And I called their office and said, I don't have to speak, do I? And they said, no, but write a talk. We do want to publish it. <laughs> I said, well, I, I've done that. Yeah, that'll be good. I can hand it to you. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We will link to that talk from this podcast copy, and we'll also include some pictures of you and, and President Kevin Worthen uh, when he presents you with the, with the honorary picture. degree. I love that picture, too. He's got gloves on and a mask. It was such a hard time, but that picture became a bright light for many of us. Tell us about some of the struggles you've had with your health. It had to be frustrating to try and recover after having a stroke. The first stroke I had uh, was just out of the blue. I'd watched the 24th of July parade on TV and came in to write some music, and all of a sudden something just came down, and I called for my husband and John, who were both there, and, and John lifted me onto the bed and called the well, they called the ambulance, and I don't remember much after that, but I was in the hospital for some time learning to try to walk and talk, and finally came home and Doug got me a, a walker <laughs> with wheels and one that you can sit down on <laughs> if you can't make it any farther. And I said, well, I can't use that yet, and he said, Yes, you can, because you've got feeling in your hands and the bottom of your feet. They said that made all the difference in my being able to walk. But it left me with a right leg that is numb, except there's some feeling on the bottom. I just gradually recovered, and a few years later, John and I were planning to go on a trip together to do firesides in Panama and Chile, where we served our mission, and and uh, where his mission companion was missing president now, in Viña del Mar. So I prepared all my talks in Spanish, and we were ready to go to do three or four firesides for the church and the missionaries. It was going to be their Christmas program. And uh, I think it was just Three or four days before I had my second stroke, I was all alone that time at night, and I was watching TV, and when I realized something was wrong, I was past the point where I could call anyone. I had my phone on my lap. I tried to dial it. I could get one number, eight, nothing else. I couldn't even remember what it was, and then when I remembered what, the eight was gone, <laughs> and I just knew I was there for the night. So it was about 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. I knew John would be coming to work, and when he found me, I was. It wasn't terrible, you know. It was. I just knew I was in trouble, but I, I was kind of in and out, in and out, and not in a lot of pain. And when he found me, I, he said I was unconscious, kind of half on, half off the couch, and he knew immediately what, what had happened. So he called. The, I don't remember then anything for that day. 
nothing. But then uh, I went to the hospital, and they did all their tests with me unconscious. <laughs> and my kids were taking turns and staying six hours at a time with me. And the first thing I knew the next morning, I was conscious of hearing and understanding what there was going on. And it was the doctor saying, does your mother have an advanced directive? <laughs> and I thought, oh, I hope they know I do, because this would be an easy way to <laughs> go, not hurting. <laughs> and they all said, yes, she does, and she wants it honored. Because I had made that clear earlier. <laughs> and so they said, well, then we'll do She can't speak or move, so we'll just give palliative care. And I thought, this is perfect. This is perfect. <laughs> And then the next morning, my son Robert was sitting with me. It was his turn. And he said, Mom, are you awake? And I said, maybe. (laughs) He said, you moved your leg a little and you moved your hand. He said, see if you can do it again. And I did. And he said, I'm going to call a doctor. And he said, this is different. Get you right up to the therapy Award and we'll have six hours of therapy for speech and walking and the balance, and we'll just keep you here till you're on your way. Oh. And I was coming out of it, you know, to a point where I could do it. So a week in the hospital there, and I, the day I came home was when Kevin came over. <laughs> wow. Well, a lot of hard work and probably a lot of prayers on your behalf had to result in a place where you wouldn't know it today. I can tell it a little in my speech, but not too bad. (laughs) Now, Sister Perry, you work with your son, John, and you have for many years. That has to have been a great blessing in your life. Yes, he's at a certain point. He just took over our business completely. But it's always been a family business, like my husband his degrees are in Russian, <laughs> and then he was in data processing because computers came along. He left his job, and he learned to engrave all the music. And I just, from then on, all I had to do was hand him my music, and it was prepared for publication. And he loved it. And our three of our kids have recorded on our albums. We recorded uh, 11 of Steve's albums and three of my daughter Lynn's. And then John just came over and took completely the business part because I was filling orders and not having any time to write. Takes care of the tax, the advertising, the promotional, all of our records for 30 years. And the past five years would have been a unique time for you as well because you lost your husband. Yes, that's major. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't sick very long. He'd... You know, he engraved all our music for years after he finished his profession, and this became his profession. But uh, just gradually, during the over a six-month period, he started losing his ability to remember how to do it. He had to call people who knew to, to help him, and then one day he said, I can't do it for you anymore. And that was very sad for him and me, We had a wonderful friend, Brent Jorgensen, who stepped up and said, I'm going to take all of Doug's files, and I can find anything you want at any time, and I'll engrave your music. So people have helped us all along the way. 
what I would love to talk to you about kind of as we wind up is why you chose to use music as a way to share your testimony. Oh, you said something to music, it goes deeper into your heart and has a great staying power. It's Oh, makes all the difference than just reading a poem. If I read you the, my lyrics to a child's prayer, <laughs> how much would that mean compared to hearing singing the music? Yeah, I don't know. I've always loved sacred music. This is an example of, of what a song means. It's a really quick one. But I wrote, I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ. And I heard a lot of letters, or got a lot of letters about it, but one lady wrote and said, I took my little girl to the shoe store to get shoes, and I let her wear her patent leather. And while she was trying on shoes, the clerk said, those are pretty shoes, where do you wear them? She said, to church. And she said, what church is that? And she looked up at her mom, and she was five or six years old, and her mom said, remember the song? And she said, Oh, I, I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> well, that's the power of music. <laughs> she couldn't remember the name of the church, but she remembered it when it set to music. I love that the next line to that is, I know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know God's plan. What an amazing thing that has been kind of imprinted in the hearts of our children because of the work you've done. We have a tradition when we have people on the Church News Podcast, and we always ask them the same question. And the question that I want to ask you today is, what do you know now? So, Sister Perry, what do you know now after writing so many songs that have helped people and strengthened their faith? I know that the Lord will use us even if we have not much talent, because I didn't know I had any talent for writing music. And yet, as I followed the direction the church gave me to write for my own, write in my own little corner of the world, they put it, <laughs> it just, oh, it, everyone can make a contribution, because I had no special talent at that time, but everything I tried helped me to progress. I even eventually recorded an album of me singing my favorite songs of mine. <laughs> and it's pretty good, because I'd been in the choir a while, so it was at, at least at the peak of my voice. <laughs> and I never thought I would do that, but I love singing. I love singing my songs. But I have never wavered from my testimony of the gospel we lived on that little farm in Oregon, and we didn't even have our own scriptures in. The kids didn't. And my mother taught us from Emma Marr Peterson's book, Children's Stories of the Book of Mormon. And she read them with such passion and testified of them, and sometimes she cried. <clears throat> and we believed her hook, line, and sinker. Never have any of her children strayed in the least from the from the full testimony of the gospel from from her and from my father, who was a good church leader and a hardworking farmer as I grew up. And mother wrote many roadshows 
always won first prize, so I inherited that too. But when I hear people losing their testimony, I just feel like, pray, read, just have it revealed to you for certain, because it will be if you're seeking earnestly. And I still reread the Book of Mormon just over and over in all the scriptures. I, and now I read them and I'm reading Jesus the Christ, just finishing in Spanish. Because I really learned to love that language and we have eight of our albums in Spanish by native singers. They're wonderful. So a matter of testimony has just never been a question. It's just this total knowledge from everything I hear and feel and especially when I write about it I feel it and it's me it's in me in me and through me and it means everything to me you have been listening to the Church News Podcast I'm your host Church News Editor Sarah Jane Weaver I hope you have learned something today about The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the church news window. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, to my producer, Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channel or with other news and updates about the church on thechurchnews.com.